calling all hardscapers, landscapers, and outdoor living pros. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. I am so excited to announce our first ever six-day immersive hands-on outdoor living design build event in New Holland, Pennsylvania. Over the course of a week, Yes Express, Souders Hardscape Supply, and Pave Tool Innovators are going to teach you how to become downright dangerous in sales, design, installation, and equipment slash tool operation. Expert teachers will cover the installation of custom features like permeable pavers, fireplaces, stone decks, custom outdoor kitchens, water features, putting greens, and so, so much more. This event was designed specifically for growth-minded business owners and teams who want to get their hands dirty and learn from the best so they can take their businesses to new, unimaginable levels. So mark your calendar from February 20th to the 25th. Seating is limited. You can get your tickets today at OutdoorLivingMastery.com. Again, OutdoorLivingMastery.com. Oh, did I mention that we're raffling off over $20,000 in specialty tools and other profit-driving goodies at this event? You're not going to want to miss it. Let's make 2023 the most profitable year ever. Now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. And today we have a super special guest on. You guys have probably seen him around the outdoor living world. Uh, he's done some amazing things in his career so far, and he's a senior landscape consultant at uh, Complete Land Sculpture. He's uh, also known as the Dallas designer. He's got tons of awards to his name. Um, he used to play pro hockey. He's, he does a lot of really cool stuff. And I want to bring him on a show to unpack his life so far. It's very interesting and, and to see his perspective on business coming from the pro hockey arena. So without any further ado, Timmy Mack, welcome to the show. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for finding some time to come on and chat about you know, business and life and all that good stuff. You know, I love seeing all your posts on Facebook now, the 365 day challenge and the fact that you've taken time each day to help other people has just been an amazing thing to see. And I'm so glad we can get you here on the show so we can unpack how you went from pro hockey to outdoor living and a lot of stuff in between and what lessons you brought across the board from the pro hockey career. So take us back, Tim, if you don't mind, back to you know childhood up through pro hockey and how the heck you ever ended up in the outdoor living space. <laughs> well, I grew up in the Northeast and I was in the Pittsburgh area. I grew up, you know, I'm 52 now and I grew up playing hockey my whole life. My father, my grandfather, they only played hockey to a certain level. So I had hockey kind of forced down my throat for years and years. So I've taken a different approach with my kids and my family, not to force anything on anybody. So part of the positive approach that I have right now is, is based on like the way I wanted to change my perspective on life. And, you know, coming from, I went from, you know, my dad was a teacher, you know, not, we weren't well off. So everything I had to earn in life. So I kind of, I kind of like that work ethic and I like, 
when I see guys with that work ethic, I want to help them. So the positive approach that I've been taking with this 365 day challenge is just to instill some of the things that I'm I've done in my life, because if, if you create good habits, then you'll deliver good things. So it's, it's being consistent and small things will lead to big things. Um, so I went to Bowling Green University and I was there for a weekend. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> I, uh, I got there on a Thursday. I just turned 17. I just got done making three thirty-five an hour at an amusement park. You know, that's what minimum wage back then is. So, you know, I'm getting ready to start college. Uh, coach is like, Hey, you can register for school on Monday. We're going over to Miami of Ohio for this tune up tournament. And, you know, I feel like God always puts you in different situations. So we, you know, the coach is like, Hey, bring your gear. You'll do morning skate with us. You're not going to play. Well, during that morning skate, one of the seniors on the top line tours ACL, you know, God forbid, bad for him. But because this wasn't, you know, it's just a tune-up tournament. We were playing Michigan, Michigan State, Miami of Ohio. It was a, you know, little three-game and then one championship game kind of deal. You know, I just turned 17. I was like, oh, you know, the coach is like, hey, we're going to let you play. I talked to other coaches. So instead of mixing up his other lines, he puts me on the top line with these two European players that hmm. didn't know this at the time, but there was like 13, 14 scouts there to see these guys and I absolutely had just monster games. You know, I'm 17. I'm trying to impress the guys I'm going to be playing hockey with for the next two, three, four years. And um, long story short, I had a monster weekend. I had 16 points in four games, which was just wow. the most I'd ever seen anything like that. But those guys were just setting me up. So, you know, we get back to Bowling Green. I was getting ready to go register. And Coach was like, hey, uh, you need to call home. And I was like, what's wrong, Coach? He's like uh, – he said, there's like 13 offers on the fax machine for you. And I'm like, what's a fax machine? I had no idea what a fax machine. <laughs> the internet was just starting, you know, you just yeah. to learn about email and stuff. But, um, yeah. And this is, this is 87 and, um, going into 88. And so the LA Kings offered me, you know, contracts. Uh, so I hadn't registered for school yet. So the good news was I could go and play hockey. I got a, about a 30 K signing bonus. I bought a little Honda CRX and I drove up to Connecticut to their AHL affiliate. And I played about 16 games before I got hurt. And then when I got hurt, um, I took about a year off. I, I broke my little bone and that was kind of, that's kind of a setback because you can't work out. You can't do anything. You can't skate. So it just set me back. And, you know, up until getting hurt, I probably would have been playing professional for a long time, but you know, everything happens for a reason. I, uh, I kicked around in the minors for another year and I ended up down in Pensacola, Florida. And, um, I ended up joining the Navy when I washed out of pro hockey. I did three and a half, almost four years in the Navy. So when I come home from the Navy, you know, I've got to see, I got to see how good we have it in this country. You know, like yeah. you go to a couple other countries and you see how things are. You're like, wow. Um, it's eye opening, you know? So I ended up, uh, you know, coming home and I'm, I'm working for TJ Maxx as a guy that unloads a truck. You know, this is, this is what I can get when I come home from the Navy. I'm unloading trucks and I'm getting off from that job at like two in the afternoon and then I'm going to cutting lawns and then I'm going to school at night for a couple hours to get a couple of credits to get my college stuff going. And, you know, I have a few lawns and then my Italian neighbor starts teaching me masonry and, 
my dad started seeing me a little more carpentry and, you know, I started making myself more and more well-rounded and, you know, that's when it really took off. You know, I did about five years off the books like that. And then I incorporated, well, I, I became a sole proprietor and I started out as Max Lawn Care, which is, <laughs> you know, they called me Timmy Max. So I was like, you know what, I'll just do Max Lawn Care. So I, I started out as a sole proprietor. I did Max Lawn Care for almost eight years. I built it up to almost three locations. And then I started finding that I was missing some of my wall and landscape and hardscape jobs because of the name. So I said, okay, how do I reinvent myself? You know, how do I get to a, a point where, you know, I can, I can get more of these jobs I want to have and less because maintenance is a grind. I mean, maintenance yeah, is great. Sure. It covers revenue. It keeps you, it keeps you going for, you know, your snow plowing in the winter and it keeps everything going. But there comes a time when you're like, Hey, I really, if I want to change the direction and go to another level, if I want to become, instead of a two or $3 million year company, I want to be a five or $6 million company. What do I do? And that's when I decided to change Max Lawn Care into MLC, which is the abbreviation for Max Lawn Care landscape contractors. It's <laughs> funny. It's the same name uh, again. <laughs> basically I did that Clever. and I, I just said, you know what, I'll, uh, I'll create, you know, I'll create a single person LLC. And next thing you know, I do that and 08, 09 hits and the bottom falls out of everything, but maintenance, because I was strong in maintenance, I was able to keep up. Um, you know, it, I did that for about another seven years uh, in the Pittsburgh market. And then I took some hits in snow removal late in 14, 15, I had really built up my brand in Pittsburgh to where, you know, we were doing a majority of hardscape and landscape. I, I would do the Pittsburgh Home and Garden Show and I'm right there on the front row when you walk in. That's a 10 day grind for that show, but it would book out a million to a million, a million two, a million three average is what I'd book off that show. And then when my H2B guys would come, I mean, my American workers combined with my H2B guys, we could put stuff in the ground like nobody else. I mean, cause you're, you've got in that market because it's cold weather, warm weather, you get 36 to 38 weeks to get your stuff in and you can't, you, you can't just, it's, it's a grind. So yeah. I ended up uh, selling 15. I sold my biggest competitor, worked for them for a couple of years, for two years as part of the agreement. And everything happens for a reason. I mean, best thing ever happened to me was selling my business, set up my kids' college funds, took care of all my debt. You know, any of my HGB guys that wanted to stay could stay. Any of my American guys want to stay. Didn't leave anybody stranded. Um, worked for those guys for the two years that I agreed to. And then I was on at the end of 17, <clears throat> I basically toured the country. I, I interviewed with Mariani. I interviewed with, all the big boys, like I basically could punch my own ticket anywhere I wanted to go, but I had been down to Dallas in 16 for a thing called grow. And it was held a complete land sculpture. So I remember their facility. I mean, their facility is like walking in Jurassic park. They get the big front gate and they got this bar across their like, I mean, beautiful facility, great location. And the Dallas market at the time, I mean, just doing some research and I was like, holy cow, everybody's moving here from the Northeast. They're moving down here from Chicago. They're moving from California. I mean, it's just, this market's on fire. 
So I, I didn't want to be a commission guy. So I basically, I handed them my West coast offers and said, you know, if you want me here, make me an offer. And that was the beginning of December. I visited them and then they had me back like the week before Christmas. They were like, Hey, we really want to have you come in for a second interview. We're going to fly you down here, bring your family. So I flew back down and I met with them. And I mean, these guys made me a phenomenal offer and the rest is history. I've been here five years. Um, I'm just under 20 million produced in five years for them. Nice. Is, you know, I've, uh, I went from a couple awards each year at the beginning years to 21. I had a dozen and four of those were awards of excellence from NALP, which they really have, you know, it's a rarity for one person to win four in one year. This year I topped up by winning five in one year. I had a gold, three silvers and a bronze. Um, had a couple of landscapes in the month with NLP, but it's the opportunities that are there. Like these opportunities all are based on how you, you know, a lot of these are referrals. Like it's how well did I do with, with one job to get to another. So again, I'm going to be here for another five years. My daughters, I have four kids, uh, one off to college, one ready to be off to college. And, um, you know, my daughter and son, my youngest two, one's a freshman in high school, one's a last year of middle school. So I've gotten so my daughter's done with high school, I'll work four more years and then I'm probably going to just be a consultant or maybe I'll come work with you guys, uh, teaching guys how to sell outdoor living, but it's, you know, everything's up in the air. Um, I love the market. What are, what are some of the questions you might have for me based on, you know, I gave you guys a quick bio, um, I could talk for yeah. days about it. Cause it, it's all positive. Yeah. Everything I've done has been positive. I mean, there's been some hiccups in the road. There's been some things that have happened, but for the most part, it's staying positive and not, you know, not going backwards, always looking forwards. No, I love that dude. And I love the message. So, you know, my bigger question was around, what did you learn in hockey during those years that now you've transferred into business or that directly give you an edge? Uh, in business and design and being able to get all these awards, like has there been a direct correlation or there was there no correlation between uh, those two times? Hockey, of your life? Like anybody that knows hockey players, hockey players are built differently, man. It's, um, you know, you're not, it's, um, it's a culture, like hockey's a culture, right? You love the game. Everybody's making the commitment. Not everybody gets to play it, but once you play it, it's like everybody understands how hard it is. Right. Like someone goes to a hockey game and they sit up in the midsection and you see the game or you watch it on TV. You're like, Oh, that's all right. But when you sit down low and you see the speed of the game and you think about all the things that go into that and the split second decisions you have to make, right? It's just like being in business hockey. You have to make quick, you have to make decisions quick, concise, but also thoughtful. Like you have to think about what you're doing. Like everything happens in hockey is thinking about the next move. It's like playing chess. I always tell people, you know, a lot of my competitors, you know, Hey, it's, it's good to have competition, but the competition is playing checkers, not chess. We're playing chess. We're thinking three and four moves ahead and we're thinking about the big picture. So hockey and business, it's relationships. It's a culture, a team. And it's also some of the things you're going to carry through in business when you work with other people. 
So, and you've got some people in hockey that are, you know, not so nice people in hockey. There's everybody always has one or two bad apples. So yeah, for sure. You learn how to deal with all different personalities. Well, the cool part is that I, I had up until only about a month ago, I had never been to a hockey game live, right? I've seen them on TV, whatever, but never actually live. And one of my son's friends has season tickets up here to Wilkes-Barre. I forget the name of the, the group, but anyway. It's the Penguins AHL affiliate. Yep. Yep, exactly. So they, um, anyway, so they invited us up to go and we were right on the glass and I had no idea what to expect. And then you guys get out there and they're going around and slamming each other into the glass. And, and I was like, the, the speed of the puck was hard enough to, to see and go. And these guys are going in and out of the box, you know, in and out. And it, it was insane. It was organized chaos. And I was like, how the heck? And it, it it's incredible all the way around. I'm like, they're on roll. They're, they're not on roller skates. They are on ice skates. You know what I mean? This is a whole nother level. So it really gave me a, a massive respect for the, you know, for the athletes out there and what it takes to be able to do that and to be able to score and be to your point, three steps ahead on a game. That sounds like you could probably barely get like one step ahead without falling in your face, at least from my perspective. Right. So mad respect for that, but it's really cool how you can take that same team dynamic and bring it into business. And that's that chess instead of checkers mentality as you're moving forward. Um, that's really cool. So it's, it's really a powerful conversation there, but, uh, so as far as, all right, so you find yourself, well, first of all, the orbital bone, let's go back to that part, how you got out of hockey. That's a bone in the face, right? Cause I don't, yeah. I've never heard of that bone before until you told me. So right here, you can still see the scar. And that's why a lot of my pictures, a lot of my posts, you'll see me wearing sunglasses. It hides got the it. scar. Um, Dude, I think the scar's badass. To be quite honest with you, but. <laughs> it's, it's, um, you know, it's one of those, you know, I re-injured it like an idiot, you know, I re-injured it back in 2005 or 2006, similar situation, puck plant, you know, I'm out there playing without a face mask and a guy, you know, a puck slid off of somebody's helmet and hit it again. So when they went in to fix it this time, they did a few things. And then, um, I recently just had, um, no flap LASIK done to this eye. So I see 2020 in this eye and I'm trying to learn mono vision right now. So, I'm wearing readers for some things, but I'm still playing hockey and it's nice not having to wear glasses all the time. So, but yeah. the orbital bone, when you break it and they repair it, you know, this is 87, 88, nowhere near the technology, what they have now, the first time it was broken. So you have to, you can't, your breathing comes through your face. So you can't work out. So like I had six months, no skating, no working out you know, just minimal stuff. So I'm six months behind everybody playing at a high level, trying to come back. So it was, it was uh, humbling because when you're so used to being able to do something, then you can't do it. It gives you some perspective about, yeah. you know, the reality of things. And, you know, a lot of people ask me that, like, well, how did you get in the military? I said, well, they gave me a waiver because I had a, I had a 1400 plus on my SAT and I took the ASVAB when I was in Pensacola, Florida, and I got a 99 on it. So like they were, they were giving me a medical waiver. Nowadays you break your order bone, you got pins, you got plates, you got anything like that. The military is not going to take you. So yeah. you get humbled and then you get some discipline. So those were good balance points for me. Um, I wasn't, after I get to see some other countries, I decided, I probably didn't want to be in the military more than four years. Now I, I did do reserves for a couple of years, but just because I, 
I'd agreed to do some things after the fact in case there was an emergency. So. Got it. Now, so, okay, so you do that and you get into outdoor living. What attracted you to this? I know you said your neighbor taught you masonry and you were mowing lawns and then you wanted to to make more money, that kind of thing. But how did you go from, you know, pushing a lawnmower essentially, right? And learning how to stick rocks together to doing millions a year in revenue and doing the incredible work that you're winning awards for now. How do you go from one to the other and how fast did you get there? What was your 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 method of of launching that? Well, I learned real quick about how quick maintenance eats up your man hours, right? Yeah. We're, you, you know, you start looking at like, Hey, what can one guy work in a year? 1600 hours. Right. You know, and then you start looking at, you know, wow. Okay. I got a three man crew for this. And once I got to the point where I kind of looked at the overall picture, I said, well, you know, being a 300 or $400,000 a year company ain't going to get it. If my wife wants to have kids. Yeah. So what am I going to do differently? How am I going to get there? So in Pittsburgh, which where I, where I was located, you know, you've got so many elevation changes. Everybody's got a wall. Everybody's got an old dry stack wall. They got a wall somewhere on the property. So, you know, there was a lot of places that, you know, masonry, old flagstone walls going back up. People want to rebuild those, but also places that I was buying supplies from, they would sell blocks. So I started looking at like seminars they do, um, I went and looked into NCMA stuff. I went and looked into ICPI stuff. I started getting interested in that and nobody wants you to learn on their job, but technically, you know, in the early years I was learning on the job, you know, before I took these courses, I was learning on the job. Um, a lot of the vendors would give you, you know, some trial and error. Um, I really like what I'm seeing out of the guy in Chicago, Crook Salon. He's doing he's doing some things with you guys. He's doing some things on his own. I think having if I would have had something like that back then, I would have been ten years ahead of where I am right now. But again, everything happens for a reason. The um, the Italian neighbor, he was strictly concrete and old school flagstone and really detailed masonry stuff. But in that, you learn your measurements, you learn how to level stuff out. You learn all the stuff for good basis of outdoor living because outdoor living, you're going to have a combination of things, right? I, um, when I started using outdoor living in all of my social media, all my hashtags back in 2012, because I saw the correlation of hardscape and landscape together because without putting those things together, People are either looking at you as a landscaper or hardscaper, you know, or you're a concrete guy. Like, cause anybody can say they're doing outdoor living, but your book of business is going to tell people what you can do. So it's telling the story along the way too. You know, that's, that's kind of, I know we got a little bit sideways on that, on that question, but it kind of, you know, there's so many details that go into getting where you are now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And what lights you up about outdoor living? Why there? Why not just be a mason and just do masonry or, or just have a focus? Why altogether? Why these spaces? What's, why is it so important well, to think you? Think about this, right? When you're talking to a client, do you want to push something off? Hey, I can only do this or I can only do that. If you do outdoor living, you encompass everything. So yeah. majority of my projects now include everything. Like I do everything here. Unlike the Northeast here, everybody has irrigation. So like a lot of companies they'll build a pool, but they don't do landscaping. They'll build a structure, but they don't do the pool. I do everything. I handle everything. So 
It's also you're creating a vision for a client and you're basically you're listening to understand what that client wants and you're taking what that client wants and you're, you're basically the biggest thing with outdoor living is listen to understand what somebody wants. That way you can come back with, Hey, here's the main concept I have for you. And here's some nice features I can add to it. And it's also understanding their budgets. Like for outdoor living, that's what gets me going is outdoor living's never ended. Like eventually you're going to get to the point where there's nothing left on that property, but you don't have to get the egg all at one time. You, you know, you, you can get the prize of, you know, 200 K here, hundred K here. Some of the biggest projects that I've done in this market started out as three, 400,000 and went to a million over, you know, a two year period. Yeah. So outdoor living encompasses everything outdoors and you're not locking yourself into um, this or um, that you are the, you're, you're the designer for the client and outdoor living gives you so much opportunity. If you box yourself into one thing, you're getting married to that one thing. Outdoor living gives you ultimate opportunity to create and it's always going to be evolving. You know, there's so many different aspects of different materials, different things you can use, different elevation changes, things to soften things, you know, from the evolution of like, if you look at synthetic turf now and you look at how real synthetic turf looks in places, you know, like Huge, yeah. there's so many things that just are out there lighting, like guys, like, why would you want to get rid of one of the biggest revenue streams? Guys are like, Oh, well, I'll get someone else to do lighting. That's, that's one of the biggest revenue streams you can have is lighting. So most profitable, some of the most profitable revenue streams too. So those are things that kind of, you know, outdoor living is everything you, you, yeah. you can do one thing or two things, but if you can do outdoor living right and be successful at it, you're going to have some staying power that'll be here for years. Yeah. I'm not going to agree more, dude. I've been in that realm now for a good 20 plus years. And, you know, I saw it early when I first started out when I was 18, it was like, all right, well, we were just doing whatever we could to make money in the beginning, very similar to your situation, you know, but we weren't mowing lawns, but we were, we live along the Delaware. So we'd be cleaning up the bank after floods would come through and we would be doing just about anything in the beginning. And then I started saying people came in their garden center asking what else could we could do. And next thing you know, they saw, we started doing some paver displays there. And then they're like, can you do these at my house? And pretty soon we're doing paver displays. And I'm like, I don't want to just do walkways anymore. What if we did patios in the back too? And pretty soon that became a thing. Thing. And then what about pergolas? What about landscaping? What about boulders? What about all this? And all it just started growing and they kept asking and I hated to say no. So we kept saying, yeah, no problem. We can, and we learned how to do it. The lighting was another excellent example of that. And then water features and you pretty soon you're doing all of it. And it, it takes a certain skill set to be able to be really good at all of these things and to also be able to have the staff that can be really good at these things too. So you're not there doing them. And that was a bit of a, a snag we ran into because, you know, the, my father, my brother and I could do all these things all the time. We had to learn, right? The employees, they came in and they're like, yeah, I used to hardscape at this other company. And then they didn't know how to put together a water feature. Then you could train them and then they'd take that somewhere else, right? It just was this, this motion. That's what prompted me to jump into the design manage because then I can bring in all of those specialties as I need them for every project and be able to scale in any way I want to with the business and or with the client. So I can always find a specialist that does exactly what I was looking for. But anyway, it's... It's, uh, it's a beautiful place to be. I love outdoor living because we get to impact people's lives, right? We get to create spaces that they create memories in. You know, they're going to take so many pictures and they're going to have so many events on these spaces. You're basically giving them an event venue in their backyard that they can spend time together and enjoy life at its highest level. 
So, and, and plus it connects them to nature. They're outside. It's all of those things all in one. So that's what lights me up about outdoor living. That's why I've always loved it. I'm glad that you, you know, also see the ability to really be able to serve in that, uh, that realm and be able to do all those things under one roof to make it easier for our clients too. Yeah. I mean, it's just going to create more opportunity for you. The more, yep. the more you can do or the more you can manage, like my company's not wasting their time sending me out for 10, 20, $30,000 things. We got junior guys yep. that'll do that. They're sending me out for things that I'll have a team, like I'll have a project manager, I'll have someone on the back end design helping me. And then we're going to manage that job. Like we're creating, we're creating something so unique. Um, some of the stuff I have for 2023, I mean, I've already got $2 million in my backlog and I'm probably looking at a six to $8 million a year. Um, yeah. that's how crazy this next year is going to be. I know a lot of people are worried with the economy, but I'm like, again, <clears throat> I'm blessed to be in the market I'm in. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've, yeah. Texas is a different animal. I've, I've, I've been there. I've never had a, a business there, but everyone I talk to in Texas, they're like, everything's bigger in Texas and the people move there with the money and they, they have the longer seasons. You come from Pittsburgh. I'm in North of Philadelphia in the Poconos. So, you know, we get the, the idea that for three plus months, no one's going outside. So it really uh, kicks into the idea of investing in the space, but having, you know, in, in a Dallas market, I assume you get a lot more use out of it. So therefore there's a bigger opportunity for people to invest in it as well. There is, there is. And Oh, today's sales nugget is going to hit home. This is all about your client asking you for discounts on your projects. The answer is always no. You don't give discounts to projects. Here is the reason why. If your client and you have decided that you're going to do a project that's, uh, say, $10,500 and your client wants to round you down to $10,000 and you say, yeah, no problem. If, if you do the whole project, we'll do it for $10,000. What do you think your client's thinking? Client's thinking, oh, I got a deal. Sure. That's part of the thinking. Second is, well, your client's thinking, if I didn't ask this person for $500 discount, they would have charged me $500 more. Do I really trust this person? That's the big question, right? When you go into a pricing situation, you better have put some thought into the price that you're going to offer to your client. And the price is the price. $10,500 is $10,500. Now, there is only three levers you can pull in order to change that price. First lever that you can pull is sweat equity. So if the client is willing to knock down a tree or, or pull out some bushes or demo, basically the demo world, right? Um, take the deck down, remove the old pavers and get them out of your way. The demo stuff, that can save them some money on the demo side. That's one lever. Second lever, we call it sweat equity. Second lever is gonna be, all right, I see that we have pavers all the way through this project. There, are, We can use cheaper pavers or we can do concrete. So we're gonna change the overall materials. So they can use materials to change the price. And the third is going to be scope. Okay, Mrs. Jones, of these five different features that we're planning for this space, uh, which one would you like to take out to bring the price down? So those are the three that you use. So your price is your price, either sweat equity, scope, or materials. They're the only three things you can change in order to bring the price down. Again, making sure that you know your numbers and that you're offering them the price that you're comfortable with, that you can make a profit on, and they can also enjoy a great solution from, there's only those three levers. Do not give discounts. My company uh, that I'm working for, Complete Land Sculpture, they've been around for 35 plus years. Um, yeah. So they've got a good brand recognition in the market. Um, 
they want to grow to be a bigger maintenance company over time because that makes them, you know, they think that makes them recession proof. Um, yeah. I'm going to keep doing outdoor living with them. My goal is to do 10 million in one year. I don't know if it'll be 23 or if it'll be 24, but it's coming. Um, I've got the pipeline and with the marketing and branding, the way I'm growing things, a lot of the outreach stuff I'm doing, um, just some of the neighborhoods I'm in and some of the referrals, um, there's a possibility. I mean, to get 10 million in in a year, with one or two teams, you know, we, we use the H2B visa program. So we bring about 200 guys from Mexico on the visa program every year. Mm -hmm. But out of those 200, only about 40 or 50 can do outdoor living, you know, okay. there's, you know, a lot of those guys are doing maintenance or landscape, but when it comes to masonry and construction, I lean on subs heavily. And for me to get to 10 million, I'll probably have to do four or 5 million sub work to do that. But you know, I'm doing that at a 40 plus margin, which is unheard of. Like, yep. but that's pretty sick. I'm yeah. building budgets on the front end with a client. So I'm establishing budget first. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing guys miss in outdoor living is establish that budget up front. They want to come back with this grandiose plan, but it's not meeting the budget. So in Dallas, I'm blessed with bigger budgets than I would in the Northeast. So again, yeah. opportunities here. So how do you uh, approach budget when it comes to a client? Do you have any silver bullets that you use or what's your overall strategy to, to getting them to agree to a budget that is in both of your best interests? Well, I mean, when you start talking budget, you're looking at the project and you have an understanding of the market you're in, you know what it costs to do things. Your job is to educate the client on what the budget should be. Not at, like asking them what their budget is or you can ask them off the cuff, Hey, do you guys have a budget in mind? That's just a conversation piece. Everything else you're going to educate them on what the budget should be. And if they don't have the budget for what they're asking for, your goal is an outdoor living or a landscape designer or whatever it might be. Your goal is to figure out how you get them there. And if it has to be done in stages, it has to be done in stages. Not some people aren't going to be able to do everything in one time. And that's the reality of when you get into big purchases, you know, when you start talking about like, I have a million dollar house that I'm putting 750 in their backyard, which I had to have that conversation, like to come to Jesus bone with, Hey, are you ready to put $750,000 into your backyard for this pool? When your house, you bought your house five years ago at a million, it's now worth one, three, it might get to one seven, but you're not getting $700,000 back in value in what you put out here. Now, what you are going to get as a memory maker you're going to get this outdoor living space that fits the house. You're going to be able to walk out back, use this anytime you want. You're working from home. You want to come out here. Those are the conversations you have to have. You have to make it make sense for them because anytime you make a big purchase, you're going to think with your gut. A lot of yeah. people aren't going to make a big purchase, like snap of a finger and we're going to do it. You have to establish a reasonable budget and a realistic budget. Like a lot of people say, Oh, I have a good budget. And then you, when you go through things, they realize they don't have a good budget. So it's being realistic with the client and setting realistic expectations. A lot of times in this industry, guys set unrealistic expectations. And the minute you start out setting unrealistic expectations, someone's going to get that let down other than you. You're going to let down a client. There's going to be all kinds. It's not going to go as smooth as you'd like. Um, 
So just establishing budget and understanding your stuff. Like the more, you know, like before I visit a client, I know what the house costs. I know the area I've already looked at the median values of the house around it. I've done a little bit of homework before I go there. So that when I go and sit in that meeting, I'm not going in there blind. I'm going in there with, I know what the neighborhood's value is. I have some understanding and I can look at the areas where they want to do something and I can come up with a budget that makes sense. But also just some little homework you do before you go there is going to be helpful for establishing budget. A lot of things get missed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's important that you're already helping the client see, like when you mentioned earlier about having uh, an idea that the house is worth, say a million, you fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. It was worth about a million bucks. And you're like, well, certain percentage, most people would invest in our backyard. So this guy here's at, you know, three quarters of his value, 75% of his value in outdoor living. Is that even wise? So bringing that to their attention and say, guys, look, you see, this is where you're at in this market because people are going to get there anyway. Right. Your clients are going to eventually have that realization. So you might as well be part of that conversation with them so that they see where they're going. And then you become that guide, as you mentioned earlier, to guide them in the right direction. Is that how you see it too, Tim? That, and it also establishes value to them because they're looking at the perspective of you didn't sell them something to just sell them something. You've walked them through, you've taken the time to kind of educate them. Like that's also part of the reason why I say educate your client on what the budget should be for the things they want. So that when they see the value, it's an understanding. Like they've come to the realization, wow, this guy really cared about us. Because people, <laughs> people don't know, uh, you know, it's hard for people in this day and age because so many people are just selling stuff to sell stuff. It's getting a client, a client to buy in that you care. Yeah. You know, People don't know, people don't care what you know until they know you care about them, right? So you could be great at your job, but if you don't show empathy and understanding for a client, you're less likely to get that job. And if you have genuine empathy and understanding for a client, they're going to refer you to other people because of the experience. They're going to remember how you walked them through and you guided them through. Because as an outdoor living designer, which encompasses everything outdoors, your goal should be to build a relationship with a client to better understand how you help them. Like put yourself in there. Like you ask things like, Hey, do you have kids? Do you have pets? You're understanding them as a person so that when you come back, you're putting yourself, like I'm putting myself in their position. What would I do based on what they want with the family they have? And people get blown away by that because they're not used to, they're not used to someone thinking about the big picture for them. Yeah. They're used to transactions. Yep. We're not making transactions. We're making relationships. So you're building a relationship. There's, there's going to be a transaction on the back end, but you got to decide, am I in this for the client and myself as a relationship so that this work's going to lead to more work? Or am I looking at this as short-term transaction? If you're looking yep. things as short-term transaction, you're not made for this business because you're not going to last. There's when we go into this downturn, mid 24, we're going to have a downturn just so everybody kind of knows that's election years are always one of the, the telltale. Yep. We always have a semi downturn. And if you're a transactional guy, you're going to be sitting, you know, it's like when the music stops, you're not going to have that chair. 
Yep. So, Couldn't agree more, dude. And it's, it's so funny that you say that because we always preach about uh, transformation over transaction, right? You're transforming a relationship, a life, somebody's house. That's the focus. The transaction happens when that relationship is right, when that transformation is clear. And it is, it's so important to be looking at it that direction. And that's where you get a lot of referral work. And it's a lot more fun to work with the clients that are focused on that. If they have somebody calls you up, you know, Tim, if somebody calls you up and says, hey, Tim, I want a 20 by 50 uh, area of pavers. Can you do that for me? What are you going to tell them? I'm going to say, absolutely. I got, I'll send over a guy and we'll get you measured out and we'll get you something figured out. But, you know, you can't, like, you have to take everything that comes at you. And if you build up your clientele, and they refer you to somebody, you have to deliver. If you decide you're not going to deliver, you know, it's like you go out and eat at a restaurant, right? You have a great experience. You might tell one or two people. You go out to that restaurant, you have a bad experience. How many people are you going to tell? Yeah. So it's, it's, yep. it's, it's taking everything. And you also have to think about, it depends on the size of the company you are too, on how you handle your referrals, because not everybody's built to take every single job. You have yep. to, a lot of guys got in the weeds during COVID because they took more work than they could handle. And then they pissed a lot of people off. They, they, they upset a lot of people by not being able to deliver. Yeah. So they overpromised and underdelivered. So you know, everybody's situation can be different, but you have to put yourself in the best position for success. And the goal is to always see the, the relationship from the perspective of your prospect, right? From your client's position. And when you do that and you can flip that trigger in your head and you can say, how would I want to be treated in this situation? What would be the best situation based on their criteria for the project? How we design it based on that? Not what I think is going to be best because no one gives a shit about what you think. All they care about is, are their needs met at the end? That's what a client wants. And they want someone who cares, as Tim is saying, they want someone who actually truly cares and they can feel that. It's not something you can say. It's something they have to actually see the example of and feel as well. Um, no, I love that, Tim. So, well, I mean, for- think about it like this relationship matter at all levels, right? Yeah. It's one of the company, uh, one of the three key things for the company I'm with is relationships matter at all levels. Yeah. And, you know, if you use that and you think about the Italian Mason told me this, he said, if you treat everybody like you're working for your mother, or your grandmother, you're never going to have any problems. Yeah, I'd agree. And I said, well, I don't know about with this younger generation, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take that to heart. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. things have changed, but you know, if you use that for perspective, it's helpful. Oh, it certainly is. It's a great lesson for sure. And that'll, tr- you know, take you through all of life and at so many different situations and, and help you for sure. So Tim, you've obviously done some amazing stuff, you know, pro hockey through the, uh, through the Navy, through outdoor living and all the awards and all that stuff. How do you define success? How do you define success that you know that you're being successful, that you're that you're you're heading in the right direction? What is that? Do you have a definition for success for yourself? Well, I look at it like this. I wake up in the morning, I get to do what I love. Yeah. You know, I, I wrote my own check coming here. Like everything I did led to this point. So everything right now is just extra credit. It's just like the cherry on top, like. I'm probably going to, you know, I say I'm going to work four more years. I could probably work 10 more and still be happy. Cause I don't, there's not enough golf. There's not enough hockey. There's not enough stuff to retire and, and be happy with. I think part of this is to pay it forward on the back end of my career. Cause there's a lot of younger guys in our, in our, in our firm and a lot of guys I can help. So I think success is paying it forward too. like success is 
Hey, yeah, I'm here, but you can't get complacent. Like that's the one thing you'll see guys do really well one year and then they get complacent, you know, success is staying focused. Success is staying on your grind, understanding what's important and looking at the big picture. Cause at the end of the day, um, success <clears throat> to one guy is going to be different than another. But for me is not getting complacency. Uh, complacency will kill you. Um, feeling that you made it will kill you. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the big, like the old saying is we've always done it that way. Right. <laughs> we've always done it that way. That's the biggest thing that will kill a company. We've always done 100%. it. That way. So yep. success is what you make it, but thinking about the big picture is how you stay successful. If you start getting complacent, that's, that's it done. So no, I couldn't agree more dude. Cause you know, in life, as you get to a certain point, a certain level of consciousness, as you grow, you start realizing that all the things that you used to focus on for survival, paying bills and all that, once those things are taken care of and you've grown your business to a level where that's taken care of, your consciousness changes, your focus changes, and it changes into more, or at least it will, it will if you want it to be a, a happy, fulfilled life is going to head more toward the growth and contribution side of your world. It doesn't really matter your age, but at a certain point, using your 40s and 50s, you start realizing that you start thinking, wait a minute here. What really lights me up is growing. So there's always, to your point, never getting complacent, always becoming a little bit better, just a little bit better personally, you know, spiritually, financially, all that. And then on top of that, to then contribute and help others lift them too. And that brings joy to the human heart. And there's, there's just no way around that one. So I appreciate that you've seen that and that you're doing that as well and taking all the stuff you've learned in your life and helping others get there just like that Mason did for you when you were you know much younger. That same mentor, that same voice in your mind, you know, now you can be for somebody and there's no better feeling that give back you talk about. There's no better thing you can possibly do for humanity, the the industry or anything, but to share what you've learned and whether you're 22 or, or 52 doesn't matter. Everyone can share. Each one teach one is the mantra, right? We all have special gifts. We are all given, you know, God gave us all gifts that are special to us, just like fingerprints. And our goal here in life is to share them as much as we can not to keep them for ourselves so that someone else will have or won't be able to beat you, quote unquote, or compete against you. It's not that at all. It's crazy. I mean, you think about it. Competition is me versus me. Exactly. It's not me versus Every you day. or me versus the other guys in the entry. It's me versus me. Yep. You know, uh, I have a goal for myself in 23 that I'll share with you. Like I had four NELP awards in 21. I had five in 22. I'm going for 10 in 2023. I love it. I'm going for 10 and I've got the projects to do it. And it's not the quantity I'd love for 50% of them to be gold. Um, yeah. cause they haven't, NALPs never had somebody win five golds in one year. So yeah. that's, if it doesn't happen in 23, maybe 24, but you know, it's, it's staying focused on attainable goals. So, yeah. Um, I love that. And what, what about winning those awards for is in it for you? Like what's the bigger, why the bigger push behind it? There's obviously more than just something on your wall. There's well, something deeper, you know, and I don't have any of those on my wall here. I got them at the office. We got them in our conference room, but it's sharing the success. Cause like yeah. for me to be successful, it takes hundreds of people working together with me. Like every job that I've ever won an award for, it didn't win it by myself. I won it because we had a team, we had a cohesive unit, we had a group that did it. So in business, a lot of guys will put those plaques on their office wall, like at their home office, whatever. But 
for me, it's you're sharing that success with the whole team. You're sharing, you're, you know, we won eight as a company out of nine we submitted last year. And we're, we're, we're sharing those successes with everybody. That's awesome. And it gives them attainable things. Like they can see the bigger picture. Yep. If you don't share the successes along the way, somebody's going to feel like they're just punching a clock. Yep. And that's not, so, I mean, successes, those plaques mean less about me as a person. They mean more about me working with others because yeah. the grand scheme of things, I've never built one project since I've been in Dallas by myself. Everything yeah. I've done here, I've done with a team. I've done with people around me, a supporting cast. It's a, it isn't a me, it's a team. You know, like yeah. a lot of people, that's the other thing. Like when you think about hockey and other sports, when you hear someone talk about something in hockey, like you ever hear a guy in hockey, he's always talking about how somebody else helped him do this or somebody else set him up for that. It's not, I did the, like, there's some good, there's some good ones that show you about the me and I and <clears throat> for, for success. It's a team thing. Yeah. Um, it's more about, it's not about me. It's about we. Yeah. That's how we, that's how you can only grow. But I love that definition. I love the fact that, you know, same thing here with me when we get, when the, the team wins awards and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not involved with that business as much as I used to be, you know, I, I'm more just leader and consultant through that. And the business runs itself. Now the team is incredible uh, and they, they take care of everything. So it's amazing when they go to win awards, they go to these award banquets and they go to the stage and grab the awards. It's not me. It's not me. You know what I mean? It's like they've earned them. Why would I go up and get them? Like you go up and, and feel what it feels like to earn this stuff and put it in the office where everyone can see it and be proud of it. And that's, there's nothing better as a leader to sit back and watch your team just explode and see it, see them doing it passionately and really uh, purposefully. There's, there's nothing more powerful than that. That's part of, I'm looking forward to 23 because this year for 23, the NALP Awards of Excellence is going to be in Dallas. Mm. So it's going to be an opportunity for more people to go. We're so busy. Like <clears throat> our company set out for a $25 million goal this year as a company. And we're going to finish between 27 and 30 as a company. Wow, okay. nice. um, we're not in the LNM 100, but we're in the LNM top 150 the last five years. Yeah. And, you know, we're looking to grow to a $50 million company in the next five years. So part of, you know, when you look at like the awards this year, they're in Dallas. So the goal is to get as much in front of the judges that can possibly take home some hardware that we can have the whole team there to share that success. Yeah. Now <clears throat> our company does do some great things for the upper leadership. You know, our senior leadership's about 45 to 50 people between office staff, account managers, project managers, designers, consultants and division managers. And since I've been here, we've done the first year I was here, we visited the white house. Nice. The second year we went to Oklahoma state in cabins for like a team building deal. Mm -hmm. We, during COVID, we did a golf course. We did, um, San Diego one year, last year we did Memphis. This year we're going to Denver and it's basically creating, you know, it's creating a setting where we can read a book as a group together and think about what we want to do, what are our goals, and it's sharing the success that way also. So, like again, um, 
I've been doing a lot of this, you know, without an assistant, without, you know, I'm old school. I like doing most of my own stuff, but they're pushing me towards getting an assistant to help me with some of the, some of the stuff that'll take some of the things off my plate. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking forward to 23. We're interviewing some people. I got some big things on the horizon and I just, you know, I think, I think outdoor living is, is just unlocked an endless opportunity for me. So That's hopefully awesome. people will follow me and, uh, kind of get a feel for what I do and, and, and take to take, you know, like, again, I always tell people take the best parts that are going to work for you out of what you see me doing. Yep. Implement them. The secret to, to that is, you know, when you see success, it leaves clues. So whatever they're doing, model it. It's that simple. Why reinvent the wheel every time? If you see something that Tim's doing or anyone's doing out there that you really like, and you see like, that's, that's really cool. I want some more of that in my life. Grab it. That's what we're here for. We're here to do exactly that and take those things and make them better. Take a look at them and figure out ways to integrate them. That's that's a way you can leapfrog and save decades. It's called taking decades, uh, compressing decades into days of learning. So instead of waiting 10 years to learn it, you can do it in a day or two. So some people like their whole life just to have one thing become their thing. Imagine Einstein, for instance, you know, coming up with a theory, theory of relativity and now you can just take that equation and Im- immediately just plug it into something. It might have taken him a lifetime to figure that out. You can compress decades into days or even minutes in that case. So that's that's what teachers truly want. They want to take their stuff and they want people to use it. So don't be afraid to do that out there, guys. And Tim's giving you free reign on that. He says, you see a stuff you like, use it and improve upon it. That's the cool part about it. So Tim, um, any other last words of of encouragement or inspiration before we finish up here? No, I mean, just... You know, if you set small goals, you know, try some for 30 days. If you can do it for 30 days, then you can make it a habit. And a habit becomes a discipline. Once you have that discipline, unlocks endless opportunities. So just good luck to everybody. I hope everybody had a good holiday. Um, And I hope everybody has a good new year. Um, I appreciate you having me on. I always like sharing my story with others. Um, I've tried this a couple other times in the past. Guys have reached out to me. I don't have a problem. If you reach out to me, I always give you some advice if I can. But for the most part, I always say, follow me and see what I'm doing. And then you can always comment, like, share, anything like that is always helpful. Cool. Well, I appreciate it, Tim. So how can people reach out to you? What's the best way for them to get to you if they so choose? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can put the, when you do the pod, when you show this, you can put it in Facebook. I'm, I'll put it in show once, notes. Yeah, okay. once they go, <clears throat> I have a couple websites, but I'm merging them together after the new year. So, but finding me personally on Facebook, LinkedIn, anything like that, share, connect, those are all good. Those are all good opportunities. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. So, Tim, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And uh, good luck with this year coming. I'm sure you'll hit all these goals. You're very focused and disciplined, and that's the secret to all of it, guys. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing everything today, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. All right. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you having me.